0: We're so excited to have you here this morning. My name is David, and uh, I am proud to be able to be with you this morning. I would say that I am a pastor here at the Church of Kane Bay. Uh, That used to be true. Uh, I guess what you would call me now is one of them traveling preachers. Uh, (laughs) Something like that, maybe. Uh, Yeah, something like that. Um, Man, I'm so excited that I still have the opportunity to preach to you. Uh, So I, I don't know about you, Uh, But every time uh, Christmas season comes around, I have a list of about 10, 15 different things that I want to do. Sure, I'm going to eat all the cookies I can. Sure, I'm going to watch Christmas vacation at least 15,000 different times. I'm going to go to the Christmas parties that I do want to go to. I'm going to go to the Christmas parties that I don't want to go to. Uh, It's just this big season. Uh, but somehow or another, every single time without fail, I wake up on December 26th and it's like, man, I got to wait another 365 days to do it. I feel like I have missed it. I feel like somewhere, somehow, with all the junk and with all the different thousands of things that I have going on, I feel like, man, I missed that moment, that big, big, moment of Christmas, you know, like you used to have whenever you were a child, maybe or something like that, or maybe you experience it, and I just don't. But maybe it's that, that time along with God. I just feel like, man, I miss it. I feel like I have missed the point of this Christmas season. And it happens every December 26th. Now, you might be wondering, why in the world am I talking about Christmas here a week before Easter, a week before Resurrection Sunday? And, and some of you might know this, some of you might not, but this week is one of the biggest weeks of the Christian year, the Christian calendar. It's not necessarily more important than any other day of the year, but we reflect this time of the year, we reflect on what Jesus has done for us. This week is what we call Holy Week. And on Thursday, we think about how Jesus sat with his disciples and he ushered in this new commandment. We think about how Jesus was arrested on Thursday. And then on Friday, we certainly celebrate how Jesus died for us. And we remember and we reflect on his act of love on the cross as he's doing the will of the Father on our behalf. And then, of course, on Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday, we wake up and there's just this energy in the place because we're thinking about how Jesus Christ resurrected and is not dead, is not in a tomb. But right now he is at the right hand of the Father. And that makes everything that we do have purpose, have meaning. You have purpose and you have meaning for for your being here, your livelihood has a purpose because Jesus Christ is no longer dead but is alive. So this week is kind of like our Super Bowl week. We are we're excited and we're anticipating just a lot of energy uh, just around the area. And so here's my question for you how do you make the most of this week? How do you make the most of what we call Holy Week? How do you not miss this opportunity? How do you not miss Holy Week? How do you not miss the big anticipation and and miss Easter Sunday, miss Good Friday? How do you make the most of it without having it gone by? And you say, man, I just got to wait till next year because I didn't make the most of it. I did not prioritize. I did not have intent and therefore it was wasted. So what needs to happen in order for you to not waste or to make the most of Holy Week? What needs to happen in your life in order to make the most of this resurrection season? Some of you have probably already got your outfit picked out. You might have went down you know, to the Tanger Outlet and Got the most pretty dress you could probably think? I gotta get that dress. Gotta look the best on Easter Sunday. If you're like me, I look forward to this too. I like to, you know, I like to come in sharp. Some of you might even, you know, have your picnic planned out or time with family, dinner. You're making plans. But are you making the most important plans? Are you making the plans that matter? So what hap- has to happen for you not to waste your Holy Week? Thankfully, the Bible speaks on this. Thankfully, the Bible gives us some clues as to what to do, as to how to spend our day. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. I guess that makes today like the Pro Bowl, uh, the week before the Super Bowl, or it's, it's the AFC Championship. Mark chapter 11, the triumphal entry. Today, we celebrate Palm Sunday, and let's, let's talk about where that came about. Mark chapter 11. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it. And bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? say, The Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And it says, And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let him go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. the 12 let's pray father we invite you here this morning we thank you for this week that we along with every other day of the year should be reflecting your work on the cross your love for us your your glory that you gave to the father oh we thank you for ultimately your resurrection god you've given us so much purpose in this life father we pray that you are here this morning And that your will be done. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. So it says that Jesus is drawing near to this place. He's coming in for the Passover to celebrate this religious holiday that the Jews had celebrated for years and years and years. It says that as Jesus is about to enter into this place, enter into Jerusalem, he says to his disciples, I need for you to go and get me this donkey or this colt. And he's going to ride in to Jerusalem on this donkey. Now, that might sound really, really weird to you if you're new to this story. It might sound kind of odd. Why in the world is Jesus riding in on a donkey? That's just not something that you or I do going down Cane Bay Plantation or Cane Bay Boulevard. It's not something that we do. Typically, in Roman culture, a significant uh, warlike hero, a significant hero in battle would come into town after his battle on this big, powerful horse, this big, white horse, symbolizing success and symbolizing status and saying, look at me. Look what I've done. I am someone worthy of your respect. I am someone worthy of honor because of my accomplishments. You should be thankful for me. Or, or, or like a great political hero would come in, uh, you know, might, might be campaigning and come in on this big horse and, and just look at me. Look at who I am. I am a person of no, noble birth, noble right. You should appreciate me whenever you see me coming. But it says that it's not so with Jesus. Jesus doesn't come in on this big white horse. Jesus doesn't come in with all this status and notoriety saying, look at me. But he comes in very humbly on a donkey, showing his Showing his lowliness, showing his meekness and his humility. But not only that, Jesus is also fulfilling a prophecy that was spoken about him many, many hundreds of years ago uh, in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah said that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to be riding on a colt and a donkey. Listen to what the prophet Zechariah says He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. It doesn't say proud and mounted on a white horse. It says humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So hundreds of years ago, this was pronounced, that the coming Messiah was going to come in on a donkey, symbolizing salvation for the Jews. And so he's they're, they're laying down these palm branches and they're laying down these coats. And if you can imagine with me, it's kind of like he's got a parted ways right here. And there's people on this side laying down palm branches in their coats. And there's people on this side laying down their palm branches and his coats. And, and then he's just riding in on this donkey. And it's just this moment of, of praise and it's this moment of adoration. And they're chanting, Hosanna. Hosanna. Now, whenever I was a kid, I thought that meant some type of like praise or I thought that meant that they were adoring Jesus for who he is. But really what they're saying is as they're shouting Hosanna, they're saying, save us, save us. But it doesn't only say that they're chanting Hosanna. They're also chanting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So it's kind of like they're chanting, save us, save us at one point, And then the very next breath and the very next words, they're saying, here he comes. Save us. Here he comes. They see their Messiah riding in on this donkey. So it's like this moment, just this culmination of everything that they've wanted, everything that they've desired, what they need in life is a Messiah to save them. And so it's just this moment of intense, here he is. This is what we waited for. This is what we need. Hosanna, save us. Here he comes. Here's Jesus riding on this donkey. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this is where it takes a little bit of a turn for the worse. You see, they're chanting Hosanna, Hosanna. And they're chanting, save us. They're also saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But it's not how you and I think they're saying. It. They're not saying, save us from our sins. But you see, this point in time, Jerusalem is under the reign of the Romans. Their land has been occupied by strangers, by foreigners. They're in oppression. They have to answer and they have to listen to the Roman government. And so honestly, whenever they're chanting, save us, save us, save us, it's not in the sense that you or I would say, Jesus, save me from my sins. They're saying, save us from oppression. They're saying, save us from the Romans. Get us out of this mess, Jesus. And so whenever they're chanting these things for him, Honestly, what they're looking for is salvation from the Romans. They're looking for a political hero. They're looking for a warrior-type leader. They have this misunderstanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus is about to do. He's riding in on a donkey. Here he is. This is what we need. But they have a big misunderstanding about Jesus' purpose for being here. They have a misunderstanding with his intent. And you see what's ironic, what's ironic about their their cries is that Jesus is actually coming to save them. It's just not the way that they want, it's not the way that they intend. What's ironic is that Jesus is about to do something better than an earthly kingdom. They want a physical king with a crown and an iron scepter, one who is like them, one who is not a stranger, one who will redeem them in a very physical, very earthly sense of the word. They wanted a physical king and did not have any idea, did not have a clue about what their biggest need was, and their biggest need was for a spiritual savior. What they needed was a better king than an earthly king. They says, here comes, here comes our coming kingdom of our father, David. What they needed was someone even greater than David, someone who could far surpass what David did, and that is bring true spiritual salvation to them. He was about to give them a way into eternal life. He was about to provide for them through the cross a way to be intimate and a way to know God in a way that they could not. They had no idea that Jesus was coming in to be king, but just not with a crown and with a scepter, but with salvation, providing for them eternal life. You see, whenever I was a student in school, I'm still a learner but I am not in school anymore. Uh, I I was a whiner. I I think I was a a whiner and a complainer. Some of you might have kids that are like that and you know exactly what I'm talking about. I think I was that kind of kid to hear my mom tell it. Uh, I just always wanted the teach, just give me the answer, okay? That's why you're here. You're supposed to tell me the answer. And I never really wanted to think for things on my own. And I remember in particular, I had this one teacher. She would never give me the answer to my... To my problems, she would always say, Stop whining, all right? I'll just stop whining. And I want you to go think about it, go back to your desk and think about the problem and the yourself. And if you can't figure it out, then I might help you. How many of you were that kind of student? That was me, I'm being transparent with you here this morning. And so she would send me back to my desk to try and figure it out. And I would always think, Man, she is not helping me, she's not giving me what I need. But really she was by sending me back and allowing me to think for myself, allowing me to figure it out on my own. She was building a student, not just for a few minutes, but she was building something in me for a lifetime. Just a heart of a learner, a heart of a student always wanting to try and figure things out. She didn't give me what was quick and easy, but she wanted to give me skills for life. And it's kind of like this right here. They want the simple solution. Jesus, just take over, take over, sit on the throne for a few years and and just be our king. But Jesus is about to do something far greater than set up shop. He's about to do something far greater than sit on a earthly throne. He is setting into motion this everlasting spiritual kingdom. Jesus is bringing in the kingdom. You see, Christ's whole ministry was about the kingdom. His whole ministry was about kingdom. He announced his new kingdom. He demonstrated the new kingdom by his acts and by his service. He embodied the new kingdom, and he has called us to receive him as king and be a part of his earthly, his spiritual kingdom. Jesus has brought heaven down to earth. Jesus has brought heaven down to earth, has brought the kingdom of God. All things in heaven have been brought here, and now Jesus is, God is fulfilling all things in the world, all things for his kingdom through the person of Jesus. I would love to stand here today and say that they were worshiping and laying down palm branches as an act of spiritual worship, but the case may very well be that they did not understand Jesus's true intentions. You see, if they had understood what Jesus had truly set out to do, they wouldn't have been asking him to come and set up shop as, as a king with a, with a crown. They would have understood it. They would have cried out for real salvation. They would have chanted, Hosanna, I need a savior. Hosanna, I need to be saved from my sins. Blessed is he who comes. Had they truly understood what Jesus's has set out to do by bringing in the kingdom, they would have been calling out, save us from our sins. They probably would have cleared a path for him to go to the cross. And the best news of this whole situation is that Jesus is ushered in, the prophecy fulfilled, and he's walking down in like this celebrity-like scene where he's in a high status, people all around singing his praises in an earthly sense, nonetheless, but singing his praises. He's walking in as like a celebrity. He's he's high and revered. But in the very next chapter, in the very next few verses, what does it say that Jesus is doing? Jesus is still healing people. Jesus is still taking time, although he is highly revered, although he has this, they have this high view of him, he's still taking the time to heal the sick. He's still taking the time to get face-to-face with people and hear their needs, hear their cries. Although he is elevated in culture, Jesus still has the opportunity and still has the desire to sit across the table from fishermen and break bread with them. Although Jesus is still highly revered and the culture has lifted him up as their appointed king, even though they have done that for him, Jesus still has the time to clear the temple and say, no, 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 this is a house of prayer. Jesus, high, exalted, lifted up, still has the time to be intimate on a face-to-face level with the people here in Jerusalem. Jesus, high, above everything that we know, he is above all things, still has the opportunity to know you personally and intimately. Above all things, still nearer to you than the person sitting beside you. Jesus is the king that's near to us. He's the king, bigger than anything you can imagine, but still nearer and still closer than the person sitting beside you. And here's the good news this morning, that Jesus has brought the kingdom so that we might have intimacy with the king. Jesus has ushered in the kingdom so that you might personally know King Jesus. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Although he is above all things, although he transcends everything that we know, everything that we can see or even comprehend, he's still intimate, he's still near us. Is it possible that with all the things surrounding this Easter season, all Jesus wants is your affections and your time and prayer? With all the hoopla, with all the things going on, the thousand different activities that you could sign yourself up for, the dresses, the pageantry, the colors, the energy. Is it possible that all Jesus really wants from you is just intimacy and alone time with him? Is it possible that everything you have going on this Easter season is just a big distraction, keeping you from intimacy with your king? The king is calling you to reflect on his love for you. The king is calling you to spend time with him. Intimacy, reflecting on what he's about to do for you. The king is calling you to spend time with him. I have to admit, being transparent again, that I've not always gotten the best gifts for my wife. Uh, I have not always gotten the best gifts for her. I remember distinctly one year, it was her birthday, and uh, I wanted it to be really special. So I got her, I think it was like a necklace. I think I got her like a necklace and some chocolates. And of course, we went out to dinner uh, and different things like that. And uh, come to the end of the day, and we're sitting in bed, and I looked at her. I could just tell that something was off. Husbands, you know that moment in time when you can look look at your wife and tell something's a little bit off. And no one else in the world might realize it. No one else knows it, but you know it. Because there's little little things that she might do that give it away. And I knew it. I had this sixth sense that something was wrong with my wife on her birthday. And I just asked her, I was like, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? It's your birthday. We did a lot today. No, nothing. There's nothing wrong. <laughs> yeah, there is. We play this game all the time. Even today we play this game. Uh, what's wrong? nothing. Uh, and, and after about the 10th time, I say, well, you done lied to me 10 times. Now nah, you got to <laughs> tell me now. And she eventually comes around to tell me. And so she did the same thing this night. She she says, well, it was a really special day. You did a lot for me, but there's just one thing about it. You didn't, you didn't get me a card. Oh, uh, about that. Or she said, you didn't, you didn't sit with me on the couch and just just hold my hand and talk to me for a little while. You didn't write me a letter or anything like that. I said, well, you're right. I didn't do that, but I did all these other things. Doesn't that amount for something? And every year that passes by, without fail, my wife always writes me a card, always tells me how she feels. And what I failed to realize on this particular birthday was that I was not speaking her love language. I was not doing the thing that she really wanted, which was intimacy, which was talking, which was telling her how I feel. Now, I would love to say that I've learned from this lesson, and I would love to say that I do this, I excel at this now like nobody else, but... Really, what she wanted was just for me, although I was doing what I thought was all this excellent, man, this is a nice necklace. I thought I was doing all these excellent things for her, but really, she could have gone without all of that if I would just sit and look at her and just sit and listen and sit and just spend time with her. She would have given up everything else. I was not speaking her language. Now, I would go on to say that I think with all the things that you have in your schedule this weekend, maybe for Easter, for Holy Week, that all Jesus really wants from you is just time alone. All that Jesus really wants from you is your heart, sitting down, talking to him with intimacy as your king. He came down Palm Sunday, walking, marching towards his death. And at this moment, he is on the throne of heaven, but really what he wants from you is your heart and your intimacy in prayer and reflecting on what he did for you. That's what Jesus wants. This Holy Week, don't miss out on quality time with Jesus because of busyness. Don't miss out on quality time with your king because of other distractions, because of picnics, because of family time, because of a thousand different things that you might be taking your kids to. Don't miss out the biggest point of this Easter season, which is intimacy with the king. You see, prayer is not something that we get to do in anticipation of Resurrection Sunday, but the whole point of Resurrection Sunday is that intimacy with the king. It prepares our hearts, sure, but ultimately it's one of the main reasons that he died, so that you might have access and know him personally. Let me tell you what I plan on doing this week. This week, I have a special place on this earth, Uh, just, just to me. It's a special place to me that I go to and I get along with the Lord, and I spend time in prayer and intimacy, and I I soap, I read through the scriptures, and I just reflect on who Jesus is and what he has done for me. It's actually not that special. It's just my dinner table. But to me, it's special because that's where I meet up with Jesus. And here's what I plan on doing this week. Every single day this week, I want to wake up before anything else is going on just to spend time with Jesus. Spend time in prayer before the first thing has happened in my day, before the first assignment, before the first email, before the first text message, before anybody else has woken up, I want to wake up and spend time with the King. That is what I commit to doing to you. That is what I commit to doing to the Lord, because I want to spend time with Him this week. I want to wake up before anything else is going on, and I want to spend time with Jesus. And I would ask you, what is it for you? What has to happen in order for you to make that moment? What has to happen in order for you to, to make special arrangements? Maybe this week you need to really work hard and make special arrangements, arrangements so that you can spend time with Jesus. Maybe that's what needs to happen. I encourage families to get together with your children just like you would at Christmas and read the most important story of all, the one that our whole history and our whole being depends on, which is Jesus Christ and his resurrection. I encourage you as you fathers to sit down with your families and say, let's go through the book of John. Let me tell you about what your king did for you. And then spend time in prayer talking intimately with the father. I encourage many of you moms, listen, you might need to hear me on this. I encourage you, you might need to find a babysitter this week. Hire a babysitter and go out to be alone with the Lord. Sure, that'll cost you money, but Jesus is worth it. Some of you guys or even some of you other moms, maybe you need to really consider taking time off from work this week so that you can spend time with God. Dude, that's my vacation time. What are you talking? Is your king not worth it? Is your king not worth the time and the effort you know, whenever I want to spend time with my wife, you know what we call it? We call it a date. And I put something in my calendar and I send it to her and I say, baby, this is where we're going. We're going out on this nice restaurant. And you know what? It doesn't matter if anybody in the world calls me at that moment unless it's emergency. She's got my time. And I'm going to be there. And she's going to have 100% of my attention. Maybe this week you need to schedule a time and carve out some time with your king and schedule a date with Jesus. I'm going to do something really different. I want everybody in here to close your eyes. Close your eyes. I'm going to close mine too. For just a second. Imagine with me for just a second that Jesus Christ is coming to downtown Charleston on Friday. Friday morning, 12 o'clock, Jesus Christ is coming to downtown Charleston. What strings would you pull to be there? Would you take off work? What would you make happen in order to be there? And this, just a celebrity fanfare. This, this great figure is coming to your area and you don't want to miss it. You gotta be there. What would you not cancel? What would you not clear your schedule for in order to go and see Jesus? I gotta be there, man. He's coming. You would put anything else on hold? You say, no, I, I gotta go see Jesus. He's coming. Now look up. Jesus is here. He is here, bloodied, with nails in his hands, pierced for your transgressions. Jesus is here this morning with a crown of of thorns on his head, on your behalf, on my behalf. You don't need him to come down to downtown Charleston because he is here in your heart. He is intimate. He knows you. He is intimately aware of your being. And maybe what needs to happen is that you need to take some time and just spend with the king. But here's the thing. Maybe you're here this morning and you have not received Jesus as king. Maybe you haven't received Jesus as king. You might know that this is an important religious holiday and this is something that just that people do throughout the year. But did you know that Jesus right here in this passage, walking into Jerusalem, is walking here, knowing what is about to happen, knowing that the crucifixion is coming on your behalf so that he might know you personally. Here at the Church of Cane Bay, we, we value people far from God. We value you in the same way that Jesus does. This egg extravaganza yesterday, that was fun. But the whole purpose behind it was so that we could be out in the community and reaching people far from God. Because God values you. The peeps that we have that we're, gonna get, we're getting ready to pass out to our neighbors, that's fun And it's catchy and it's something that your kids might love. But guess what? The reason that we're doing it is because we value people far from God and we want to see see them here next week getting to know this King, Jesus. The whole reason for everything that we do is intimacy with the King, growing closer to Him, but also allowing people to be brought in so that they might hear this good news of Jesus. And so this morning the band is here. And so I have two different challenges for two different audiences in the room. Some of you are far from God. Maybe you've never even prayed. You don't know how to pray. You have all these serious questions. And the band's going to play softly this morning. And here's my challenge to you, okay? Obviously, God's doing something in your life or else you wouldn't be here. Church is a terrible hobby. It's not like going to the museum. Obviously, he's doing something in your life, drawing you closer to him so that he might have a personal relationship with you. This morning, as the band is playing, here's my request to you. Sit softly in your seat and ask yourself, if God is calling you to know him deeply, let me answer the question for you already. He is. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with your king, Ask yourself, ask God, Jesus, if you're real, show me. I'm going to be over here in this corner. Pastor Charlie's going to be here over in this corner. We would invite you to come and speak with us. Know the King. Hosanna, save us. I got something missing from my life. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then there's another audience in this room. Maybe you're here this morning and you might be far from the king. You know him, but it's been a while. Don't waste Holy Week. And so I'm gonna give you the opportunity this morning to do something that I'm inviting you to do all week. They're gonna play silently. They're not even gonna sing any words. My challenge to you is simple. Sit in your chair and have intimacy with the king sit and pray to King Jesus and soak in and reflect on what he set out to do your salvation. He invites you this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, God, we pray this morning with the men and women in this passage on Palm Sunday. Hosanna, save us, save us. But then we also point back and we say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You are our king. Father, we love you. We thank you for bringing the kingdom. We thank you that we're a part of the kingdom. We ask you now that you reveal yourself to us in a special way that we reflect on the cross, that we reflect on your agony, your suffering. And we also just recognize that it didn't stay there. You are in glory right now, transcending everything that we know. At the right hand of the Father, on our behalf, you are speaking to the Father for us. Jesus, we give this time to you. We give this week to you. Let us not miss it. Let us make the most of every second that we have. You are worth it. You are good and you do good always.